You're listening to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now with your host, Jackie Koch, the podcast with all the tips and tools to help you succeed when all of a sudden you have the realization that you're the one in charge. Hi, welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Jackie Koch, and I'm just coming off of being pretty sick. So hopefully I don't sound too different on this episode compared to others. We'll see how it goes. I ended up getting a summer cold. I think summer flu actually after flying back to Phoenix and man, it took me out. But I'm back and really excited about today's episode. Thought about it when I was out on a walk this summer, thinking about some of the conversations that I have with clients and just leaders a lot about different things that happen when they're leading a team. And There's three common ways of leading that I think are pretty common for leaders to default to, but actually are not that helpful. And that's what I want to dig into today are three things I find myself having a lot of conversations with my clients and just explaining my thought process on them and how I think you could make a slight little shift to how you're handling them and see better results. Three habits that you're doing in your business that are not having the impact that you want them to have. I'll tell you what all three of them are, and then I'm going to go into them in detail. The first one is thinking that you have to hire people who are going to stay with your company for at least five years. That is a habit that might be holding you back in your business. The second is getting group consensus on everything for all decisions from hiring to different strategy that you're doing in your business. I think Getting group consensus is a really bad habit that you don't need to have in your business for all things. And then the third thing is understanding the difference between when you should be coaching an employee around something and when you should be enrolling them or helping them see why a decision has been made and wrapping their head around that decision instead of trying to coach them into thinking it's a good decision. I'm going to go into these three things in a little bit more detail and provide some things that I think you can do instead. And so the first one is thinking you have to hire people who are going to stay with you for five years. I see this happen all the time when we are doing a recruiting job for a client and they're like, I just don't know that they're going to be with us for five years. They have a hard time assessing whether or not they're going to be with them for the long haul. One, I don't think you should be doing that regardless because for most of you listening to this show, I could be wrong. You have a scaling business. You're a small business that is growing, evolving and changing. And my opinion, having worked in startups for so long, is that you really want to hire for where your business is going to be in 18 months and what you need right now in somebody's job in order for them to be successful, right? And make an impact over the next 18 months. Honestly, you can log on to LinkedIn or anywhere and you're going to see that people are like, oh, if you only stay somewhere for two years, you're a job hopper. I actually don't necessarily think that. That's true. I think staying two years at a company, especially a scaling startup or small business, what you get done in 18 months to two years is you learn and you evolve like you would five years at a big company. And so a two-year tenure is actually pretty good, I think. I think that's a pretty solid number, especially because hiring for the shorter term of a window has a couple different benefits. One, it gives you adaptability. 
you don't know what your business is going to even need or how it's going to look in 18 months from now. Many of you listening to the show. So expecting that somebody you're going to hire is going to stay with you for five years, you might not even need their job in five years. It also helps them make an immediate impact. So hiring for immediate needs helps make sure that when you're hiring somebody, you're actually getting the relief that you're looking for in your business on making the hire in the first place. And so it helps you stay more adaptable and it helps you solve your immediate needs in the business more likely. And it allows for you to really assess and evolve roles over time because as your business changes, the roles are going to change. And honestly, what I have found in many organizations, there's people who are really good at scaling a business function, whether it's sales, marketing, HR, whatever, from, I'm going to use headcount because I don't necessarily know all revenue volumes. There's some people who are really good for the small business, getting into a mid-sized business. There's other people who are really good at mid-sized businesses. And then there's others that are really good at enterprise level business offerings. And the person who's really good at running an enterprise team is probably not the best at running the scrappier team. They're used to having a lot more resources at their disposal. They're used to being able to move larger groups of people or bigger volumes than the smaller, scrappier people. So who you need, depending on how fast your business is growing, can change so much in 18 months. And so I always say, hire for what you need in 18 months and reassess. Now, that doesn't mean that in 18 months, you're going to fire everyone who's on your team. You're going to try to help your team members develop the new skills they need to be that person that you need in that seat in 18 months, but you just don't know. And I would say most of the time that person ends up being the right hire at that time. It's because they grew into it. They developed into it, not because they were ready now for where your business is in 18 months, if that makes sense. I really do not think Hiring with the mindset of we need people who are going to be here in five years or we're not hiring them, I just think you're setting yourself up. You're doing yourself a disservice. Hire for what you need in the next 18 months, maybe two years. And the second is getting group consensus on everything for all decisions from who you're going to hire to some new strategy in your business. And I see founders make this mistake with the best of intentions. They do this when they're trying to unify their team. So you may think that everybody's buy-in helps, but I don't think it works long-term. It might work for a little bit. There may be some cases in which a consensus is needed, but most of the time it doesn't work out. As the boss, your job is to make decisions and you can't leave decisions up to the entire team. It's impossible for everyone on your team to understand all the aspects of the business that you do. You're the leader. You're the boss. You have more information than they do. And so you can and you should make decisions accordingly, right? Get people's opinions and their feedback and honestly listen and hear it and then use it in part of your decision making. And I would say it's actually the most important thing you can do is share how you made the decision and why you made the decision And if it goes against what somebody else said on the team, share it with them. Tell them that you understand that their opinion was something different, but you're moving forward with XYZ because of XYZ and explain how you'd like them to help support it. Explain, I know 
you may not totally agree with this, but this is why we're going to do it. I really think it's best for the team and I really need you to help make this successful. By you making the decision, I don't want to say you're owning the results, but you are. Where if you make a consensus decision, then your team is like, oh, who's responsible for the outcome? Nobody takes responsibility, right? I just think consensus can be so well-meaning, but it doesn't end up working out. And because it's so impossible to get consensus on everything, here's what you're going to set yourself up for. You're going to set yourself up where you tell the team, okay, we're only going to hire if everybody agrees. And so you do that and then you get their opinions and then you end up hiring someone that not everybody agrees with. So now you just broken trust because you're going against what you said you were going to do. It can happen with so many different things. Some other reasons why you shouldn't always aim for consensus. Here's reasons why it doesn't always work. It's time consuming. Trying to get everybody on board or get everybody's opinion can be so lengthy. And time spent trying to get consensus could be better spent on actually doing the thing or solving problems or executing for other issues. So it's super time consuming. You can also risk getting, I'm gonna call it watered down decisions. What I mean by that is, decisions that people just say yes to because they know you're not moving forward until there's consensus. So even if somebody doesn't agree, they're going to just say, sure, it's good enough because they know nothing's going to move forward unless everybody agrees. So it's irrelevant anyways. You think you have consensus, but you don't It's because people are just sick of having the conversation. Can also create groupthink. So striving for consensus can result in this where Similar to where people just give in because they just want to move forward, what happens with groupthink is that people start to think like each other. They start to move forward as a team without really thinking things through or doing things differently. You fall into patterns of, yep, this is what we do. This is how we do it. We don't even think about anything else. So then you might start to lack critical thinking when you're trying to do consensus. And then the other thing that I mentioned was responsibility is diffuse. So if everybody is in agreement, Sometimes you don't know who's responsible for the outcome. So then there's no accountability. And then you're pissed off as a leader that nobody's taking accountability for moving things across the line. It's because nobody knows who's responsible for it. So nobody's taking ownership and you're not assigning accountability. And it's also just inefficient, especially in a fast-paced environment or if it's an urgent situation or a crisis situation, waiting for consensus can literally be harmful or impractical. Not to mention the fact that you want diverse opinions and thoughts and feedback. Over-indexing on consensus can stifle that. And it's so important to do that in your business. So that is why I don't think you should have consensus as a decision strategy. I do think you should make sure you get people involved in decision-making, get their opinions on things, and give them time to have their opinion and their thoughts shared with you so that you fully understand. And then pull everybody together and be like, hey, Joe, I heard you're concerned about this. I understand. I see your viewpoint. I still think that it's the right decision to move forward with XYZ, even though I know it's not exactly what you think. Here's why. And here's how I want you to help us. Or you can have that person set up to pay attention to things that they're worried about and flag them if they happen. There's so many ways that you can help get them bought into it, even if it's not their decision and it's not consensus. So stop doing that. Stop trying to get consensus consensus on everything, especially hiring. You're going to never hire people if you want everybody to like the person. It's impossible. And then the last habit I see that is 
probably not helping you in your business is that you are coaching instead of enrolling your team. So what I mean by that is there are times in your business where as a leader, you have to make decisions and those decisions need to be communicated to the team. And sometimes you know that the team is not going to like it or it's going to be hard to get certain people on board, or that it's going to be hard to hear. And you think it's going to be easier if they come to agreeing with you on their own in the form of coaching, right? You coach them into believing the thing for the business is their idea or is the right idea. And first, you don't even know if they're ever going to get to that on their own. And there's examples of things that happen in the business when coaching is appropriate. And then there's examples of times and things that happen in the business where you as a leader need to communicate it in a way that gets people on board with it, or at least willing to try it, even if it's not what they want right? All too often, I just see people not making a clear distinction on this. And I think it ends up making your team feel gaslighted or toxic positivity. I can see bad habits and bad things coming from it. But what I'm going to do is go through and give eight examples of when coaching is appropriate and then give some examples of when communicating a decision and getting them enrolled in the idea is better. So first, I'm going to start with examples of when it's appropriate to coach employees. The first would be goal setting, sitting down with your team and each employee and asking questions like, what do you hope to achieve in the next quarter? How do you see your role evolving? This is our goal for revenue or XYZ this quarter. How can your role contribute to that and guide them in setting goals, right? There's a bunch of different frameworks for setting goals like the SMART framework or things like that, but help them in goal setting is when is appropriate time to coach an employee. The second time would be solving a problem. So if they're facing some sort of reoccurring issue with something or person, instead of telling them exactly what to do, it might be better to coach them through it because they might come up with a better solution than you had, right? That's why you're doing it questions you could ask would be like, what have you tried so far? What do you think is causing the issue? And that helps them reflect and analyze the problem a little bit more and solve it on their own. There's benefits to that for a lot of reasons. One, you don't want to be the problem solver. You want your team members to feel empowered and feel like they can solve their own problems. If they're running into roadblocks, you helping them work through it actually teaches them how to solve problems. So that's the point of the coaching is to teach them how to solve problems and help them in solving the problem, not coaching them to do what you think you would do to solve the problem. You want them to come up with it because like I said, they might have a better solution than you because they're actually in the day-to-day work, right? Not you. The third example or time of when it's good to coach someone would be in developing new skills. So if you know that they struggle with something like public speaking or data analysis or something like that, offer feedback on what you observed. If they were giving a presentation or if they provided a report, give feedback on what you observed and talk to them about it. Like, What was hard for you in that? How could we brainstorm strategies to improve? You could recommend resources or trainings or things that they could do to improve it. And that is to help develop new skills. Another would be to boost their confidence. Sometimes they might just feel unsure about themselves and 
a great way to do that is to talk about their achievements, talk about their strengths. You could ask things like, what are you most proud of? How do you feel like you've grown in the past? There's a lot of ways you can boost people's confidence through coaching conversations, get them to see some of the positives. Bring up an example of a project that they did really well that you knew they felt good about and be like, hey, remember when you did X, Y, Z? What made you feel so good about that? What indicators or what feedback did you get from others to know that you did a great job with that? You can do that again, right? Boosting their confidence in that way. And then team dynamics. So if an employee is having conflicts with team members or struggles with collaboration, you can ask them and talk through that. Obviously, if they are struggling as a result of something they're doing and you know exactly what it is, you don't want to coach them to see that. You can give them feedback about something you noticed and then say, have you noticed that you do that? Do you want me to share this information with you when I see it in real time? You can help them with the team dynamics. And then adapting to change is also a great time to coach them. You can ask questions like, how do you feel about it? What support or resources could help make this easier for you? And coach them through that. So those are actually six, not eight, my bad. But those are examples of times when it is appropriate to coach people. And now here are examples of things that happen in your business where you should not coach, but instead make the decision, share the decision, and do your best to enroll or influence them to get on board. I use the word enroll like you're influencing. In the most positive way, it would be like like contagious. You want to bring up the energy so the people are so excited to follow along. It's almost like delegating, but your team is excited to do it, is how I would define enrolling. And it's influencing other people. If there's a crisis situation where you need immediate action, you might not have time for the coaching. So it's important to give clear instructions to ensure that you get quick actions. The second would be if there's non-negotiable decisions. So if a decision has been made at a higher level and there's not opportunity for change because of what's happening in the market and a shift that you have to make or something like that, or if it's a company policy or legal compliance, it's appropriate for you to tell the team and get them to understand why, right? You don't need to coach them into it. If it's a non-negotiable and there's no questions asked, just tell them. Don't try to coach them into seeing it. If there's new or unfamiliar tasks, so when an employee is, maybe they are new or they're in a new role, they're taking on new things and there's a very detailed process to follow for training or something like that, make sure you give it to them and make sure they understand all the steps. Teach it to them. Don't try to coach them into learning. Teach them how to do something and that's it. If there's a shift in strategy, there's a shift in the business that you have to make, just make sure that you are giving clear information about why and what's going to happen and all of that. And then the last thing would be reinforcing boundaries. So if an employee's overstepped, crossed a line about something, it's important that you give clear and direct information about what's acceptable. Don't coach them into seeing that they did something wrong. Because what happens is you don't know for certain that they're going to agree with you or come to it. So then you have to do it anyway. It's so much more impactful if you can give the direct information and the direct feedback. When you do find yourself in a position where you have to share something with a team that you're not sure everyone's going to be on board with, here are some tips on how to do that. The first would be to really set a clear vision and purpose. Begin by really articulating a clear and compelling vision for the change and reason for the change and how it's going to impact things down the line, why it's necessary, why it's the best decision. Clearly articulate it and create a compelling reason for why the business is doing that. 
explaining the why. When people understand the bigger picture and the reasons, they're more likely to support it. You want to give more information. And that kind of leads into being open and transparent in your communication. Use multiple communication channels. So repeat the same message. I think I read somewhere they have to repeat the same message like six times. So that could be town hall meetings or in all hands, if that's what you call it. Email, video messages, slacks, team meetings, in-person calls, all of those things. Use multiple communication channels and be honest about challenges and potential obstacles. Don't try to gaslight by only talking about the positive things. Say the real deal. Say, this is what we're worried about. This is how we think this is going to go. We don't know for sure if it is. We feel positive that it's going to work. That's the best move for us right now. And just be honest about the challenges and obstacles and why you think it could go great. And make sure to allow for feedback loops where employees can share concerns and suggestions. And then another biggie is if you do have a big team, think about the people on your team that are either directly leaders or indirectly leaders, like those who have a lot of influence on your team. Sometimes that might be because of titles. Sometimes that might just be because of who they are and identify who those people are, who are going to be the champions and the most important to get on board because they can influence others on your team and tell them early, explain everything to them and why you want them, why it's so critical for them to be a champion of it because of who they are, what they do, how they impact the team. Because when somebody who's respected or looked up to, when they are on board with it, they're more likely to follow. So who on your team is influencing others the most and how can you get them on board first is a great strategy. And then obviously show quick wins, show tangible results quickly after regular updates. You've communicated it, find ways to show quick wins in the next weeks, months after you've shared this new strategy or you shared something. And then just be consistent with your messaging. It's like the transparent communication, but make sure that everybody on the leadership team is on the same page and communicating a consistent message. So that means you get them on board first. And then finally, lead by example. You need to be the change you want to see. So if you as the founder or the boss are visibly committed and passionate about the new direction, it can inspire other people to follow along. Lead by example. Those are tips on how you can actually get your team on board with the decision. And then the difference between coaching and I'm going to call it telling. It's essential that you strike a balance between the two. Sometimes after explaining a decision, it can be valuable to switch to coaching mode to explore how they feel about the decision and how to best implement it. But that shouldn't happen until after they know clearly what's going on and what to expect. The ultimate goal, whether you're coaching or sharing information, getting the team on board, is to help them succeed, support your company, and foster a good work environment. And so always just make sure that you're balancing the two and doing things in a way that's going to help the business move forward. As a recap, the three habits that may be holding you back with your team and in your business are thinking you have to hire the people who are going to stay for your business for five years. Or thinking you can only hire if you're going to need somebody in your business for five years. That is not true. Hire for what you need in the next 18 months. The second thing is getting group consensus on all decisions. Stop doing that. Get feedback. Allow people to weigh in, but don't get consensus on the decisions. Get their input and be ready to clearly explain to them why you valued their input and why you moved in a direction, whether it's the way that they want or the way that they did it. 
Stop getting group consent and then know the difference about when you should coach your team and when you should explain something to your team and get them excited or influenced to go along. If you listen to this episode and you're like, ooh, I do that, try one of these slight shifts. It's not rocket science by any means. It's just a slight shift in how you're doing things. I bet you're going to see a lot more results with your team and your business is going to be a lot more successful because you're going to be moving in the right direction. So thanks for tuning in and we'll talk again very soon. Speaking of the power of people, I'd be honored to read your written review of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard and have suggestions on how to make this show more impactful, please show your support by taking a few minutes to let me know what you think. See you next time.